Welcome to the Queer Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill. This podcast is about an idea. It's the radical idea that queerness is a gift and that the divine celebrates it rather than merely accepts it. We'll explore the special role that queer people are meant to play in the coming spiritual awakening. Through the lives and stories of queer people, we'll explore the many ways of approaching the divine and how the sacred reveals itself in everyday actions. Most of all, this is a podcast about love. It's about the love of the universe. It's about love between people. And it's about the love a community can share with one another. Thank you for joining me. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Queer Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossan-Hill, and I'm delighted that you're here listening today. I'd like to tell you a little bit about today's guest. My guest is David Townsend. David believes in the transformative power of authentic ritual. As a facilitator of queer men's spiritual growth into heightened erotic freedom, he emphasizes the creative, intuitive dimensions of ritual practice. He brings to his work more than three decades as an educator, a long creative practice in writing and visual arts, and gratitude for his own experience of spiritual and erotic liberation. He champions groups and individuals in person and online as they find their way forward toward richer, more joyful, and more compassionate ways of working in the world, walking in the world. His blog on queer men's spiritual and creative lives, Anchor Hold, attracts 2,000 readers a month. He lives in Toronto and on Long Island. Welcome to the show, David. Hi, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have you here. We've we've exchanged some emails and I've read some of your blog. Um, so I'm really excited about this conversation. I'd like to start off just with a question I ask all of my guests, and that is, what does queer spirituality mean for you? Oh, wow. Yeah, the, the elevator speech. It's not about an entirely different dimension of our lives from our ordinary lives. It's about finding the extraordinary in the middle of our ordinary life. It's about being aware of the depth dimension that informs everything we are and everything we do. I love that definition, especially that part about the extraordinary in the middle of life, because we miss that so much. We're so not present sometimes to our lives that we miss the extraordinary. It goes right by us. So I love that definition. So you've been blogging for a while and you have a very popular blog. What sort of started you, uh, you know, what gave you the idea to start blogging on, on the topics that you're writing on? Yeah, well, it started in 2010. And that was a point in my life when I realized that my interest in ritual was not only sustaining for me, but that maybe there was something that I had to offer, or better yet, something that could be offered through me that would be sustaining to other people and especially to other queer men. And so I decided, all right, um, I'll start writing about this in informal ways, in short posts, short essays. 
and set it up. I didn't know much about blogging. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I had a lot of fun putting some of my ideas down on paper. I had uh, a great deal of pleasure in realizing that people were starting to look at it. And as with all blogs, um, it takes a while. And I was a little bit astonished when the traffic on it started to increase, actually this year kind of exponentially. Yeah, that's interesting. And you've been at it for quite a while. And and I certainly know that experience of blogs take a while to take off. But um, what a satisfying feeling to notice, have people noticing it. Why do you think it is that the traffic's taking off exponentially? I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts there are. Well, you know, I think the pandemic, for better, better and worse, turned us all inward. And there were more opportunities for people to slow down and more opportunities for people to ask themselves, what really is the juice in my life? Where's the sweet spot? Where's that extraordinary dimension of the ordinary? Because during the pandemic, the, the very ordinary was just about all we had. <laughs> and specifically, I think that a fair number of people started thinking about the meaning of their sexuality because people's erotic options were different. They were more limited. But ironically, some in some ways, people's options opened up. We learned about connecting with each other in all sorts of ways online, and that included learning new ways of connecting uh, with each other erotically online, and not just in sort of superficial uh, phone and video sex ways, but uh, in a more integrated, emotionally holistic way. And attention to a blog that focuses on queer men's spiritual and creative lives had its attractions in the middle of that. And even though the pandemic is in some sense over, uh, those habits of mind have remained, I think, for a lot of people. I would so agree with that. I think the pandemic really did make people, like you said, go inward and really think about it. And I think for a lot of queer people, there was a lot of reflection on what does it mean to be queer beyond just who you have sex with or whether your marriage is legally sanctioned or not. And, you know, bigger questions of what is, what's the purpose of it? What's the meaning behind it? And of course, when we start getting into what's the bigger picture of the meaning and the purpose, a lot of us turn to spirituality to try to answer that question. So I think that's, you know, cause I've certainly seen a stronger interest in my own work as well, um, which is really interesting. So, yeah. So you, you've talked a lot about the ways people connect erotically, and you also have, you know, some other work that you do besides the anchor hold blog, um, and as a sacred intimate. So tell us a little bit about what it is to be a sacred intimate. Like, what does that word mean? And the, the other work that you do, because I, I think it's, um, I think it's interesting. And I think it's something new that people, not a lot of people know is even out there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lots of people, uh, lots of, lots of out gay and bisexual men have no idea what you mean when you first say sacred intimate. 
It's a term that was originally created by Joseph Kramer uh, when he founded the Body Electric School, and he and Annie Sprinkle were really interested in the notion of uh, erotic engagement for the sake of a client uh, in service to the client's expansion of consciousness and healing and further integration. So the Body Electric School created a sacred intimacy training program, and I've done that. I'm, I'm a Body Electric trained sacred intimate. That's not an official credential by any means, <laughs> but it's the path by which I came to this work. Lots of people who have not taken that training have adopted the term sacred intimate, and it, it means lots of different things to lots of different people who use it. But for me, what it means fundamentally is that I am there for the person who comes to me as fully and as in as many dimensions as I'm capable of being. The erotic content of our session may be very implicit, and it may be a very gentle conversational session. We may create uh, individual ritual together that is in the service of someone's healing or growth. There might be more direct erotic engagement in the session. It's really where the client is and my meeting the client to the best of my ability. Sounds, sounds amazing. Um, and do you do this work in person locally or are you doing this online? You know, it's ironic that my practice really took off during the pandemic online. So for years, I've done sessions in person, but I was supposed to lead a two-day mindful masturbation workshop in Nashville in April of 2020. I'd uh, offered a version of that workshop in Nashville the, the previous autumn. Well, April of 2020 was not a time, time to do anything in person. And so at the time I thought, all right, I know nothing about teaching online, but I'll try this. And so I told everybody who had registered for it that I was perfectly happy to offer them free a one-day online version of the workshop with the proviso that I was making this up as I went along and we would see how it went. And it went well. And more than twice as many people attended online as had actually registered to be there in person. And then about two weeks later, one of the people who'd been there said, that was really great. What's next? And my reaction was, uh, no, you don't understand. You blinked and you missed it. That was it. But then I started thinking, well, what could I do online to help sustain people through this very difficult time? And I created something that I call a heart and lingam circle. So it's a heart circle, but it's erotically engaged. And the idea is to use the raising of our erotic energy as a way of opening our consciousness and dropping down out of our analytical minds in into a deeper way of listening. 
And so the presence of the erotic energy is in service of the heart connection. That went on through the pandemic, and as restrictions started to lift, I thought, okay, this was fine, and now it's probably run its course. And I sent a message out to my blind copies list and said, is it time to let this go? And people wrote back and said, no, it's not time to let it go. And it's turned into a more or less monthly event online with men attending from, well, nobody's attended from Antarctica yet, but the other six <laughs> con continents, people have been wow. there. There's a core of guys who come maybe not every month, but quite regularly. So there's an increasing sense that we all understand what we're here for. We all understand the basic ritual structure of what's going on. And that's allowed for some really beautiful deep sharing. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it's far more playful and casual, but it's, I found it deep, deeply rewarding to go on offering that. And then at the end of the, the first summer of the pandemic, I did what any retired professor would do. I wrote a syllabus and I created <laughs> a structured set of six sessions also on heightened mindful self-pleasure that I call the path of phallic awareness. And I've been offering that sequence of six sessions to men who sign up for it since August of 2020. And that's, there's a, there's a basic structure, but we go off the menu whenever we need to, depending on where somebody is in their journey. And that's been really beautiful and, uh, and fulfilling and rewarding as well. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And and the heart circle sounds really incredible. Um, you know, I've, I've led heart circles as well, um, not erotic heart circles, but heart circles. And the sharing that comes out is always amazing. So I can imagine having that other element, how it sort of gets people a little more out of their head and into the heart space. So that sounds really incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes have introduced those circles by saying it's like a Quaker meeting, only fabulous. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, and it, it, it's really interesting how you, like so many of us during the pandemic, hadn't taught online, didn't really know how to teach online. You're like, I'm just going to wing it. And it turned out to be something really amazing because sometimes those things that just organically happen they kind of happen for a reason. And, you know, I, I do human design and, you know, there's, there's the several, the, the majority of people in human design, they're designed to respond from a sacral place to what's happening in the environment. And it's a, a really interesting how so many people responded to the pandemic by bringing and creating exactly what we as a human collective needed in that moment. And I think that's a really beautiful thing that happened to the pandemic. Yeah. And the other thing that I'm, I've been astonished by is that I would have start, said at the beginning that there's a kind of distancing with the screen that would limit intimacy. But what I found is that it's kind of extraordinary, the forms of intimacy that are 
are available that I think are not only in spite of the screen, but actually maybe even because of it, that certainly I've found in one-on-one -on -one work, there are times when people will open up because there's the safe distancing of the screen in ways that they might not open up if we were actually face-to-face. That's kind of odd, but if you think about, I, I, I will say I didn't grow up Catholic, but if you think about the screen in the confessional booth and the way that both creates a safe barrier and then encourages the person who's come to the priest to open up, it's a little like that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I had never thought about online in those terms, but, you know, the, for a long time, we've associated a lot of bad behavior on the internet with the fact that it's somewhat anonymous. So I could certainly see how some of the deeper sharing and, and better things could come from that same sort of distance. So that's, it's a really interesting observation because it hadn't really occurred to me. And I've always coached online. So I don't really have the in-person to compare to in my own practice, but I think that's a great observation. Yeah, so um, with these sessions, you have these six sessions in the Path of Phallic Awareness, and what is it that someone like, what is it that they come away from that with? What, why would someone want to sign up for these sessions or, or what is it that that brings people to need to work with a sacred intimate there are a whole range of reasons why individuals would do this work what i would uh, when you asked what do people come away from i, I would uh, from it with i would hope that everybody who does it comes away with a sense that they're more in touch with their innate erotic capacity, that they actually have treasures within themselves that are not dependent on what they need to get from somebody else, but instead the treasures that they have within in terms of their capacity for pleasure, in terms of their capacity for erotic experience to be integrated into their emotional and spiritual responses, that they would come away with more of a sense of all of that knit together. And to go back to what I said near the beginning about the nature of spirituality and queer spirituality, I would hope that they would come away with a heightened sense of what's truly extraordinary in ordinary experience. And then that said, people come to this for all sorts of reasons, and some people are struggling enormously with a legacy of shame from toxic religious upbringings, yeah. uh, or shame just about around body image. Some people come to it with already a really extraordinary giftedness in intuiting the connection between their erotic and their emotional lives, their erotic and their spiritual lives. And I do my best to meet people wherever they are. And what I say is going to happen in the third session or the fifth session 
may not go forward that way. We'll wait and we'll see what somebody needs by the time we get to the third session or the fifth session. It always starts with a talk session where we just get to know each other. I get a feel for somebody who somebody is. I invite them to speak as freely as they want about whatever it is that they want to bring into the, the quote unquote room for our work together. Uh, and then we go from there. Uh, the second session is about uh, identifying key touchstone experiences in the, the, the visitor's spiritual life and his erotic life. And then I encourage people to build a personal altar. And some people already have a personal altar. Some people are interested in it. Some people want to run screaming away at that point, and I don't push it. <laughs> but I believe profoundly that what we do physically and in externally observable ways is, is not only an expression of our spiritual life, it's how we build our spiritual life. We build our spiritual life by playing with objects and playing with gestures. And sometimes we do these things things intuitively before we know what they mean. You know, um, Marina Abramovitz, wonderful performance artist, once said, listen to your art, it knows more than you do. And I would say, if you try the exercise of building an altar, if you listen to your altar, it knows more than you do. You've got these objects on it that somehow represent touchstone experiences in your life, and you start to notice what they mean to you, and you start to realize that they mean more to you than you initial, initially imagined when you put them on the altar, and you start to realize that the arrangement of them on the altar is significant, and then you realize, oh, I need to rearrange, rearrange this now because the relationship between those objects and those experiences and values that the objects represent, that relationship is shifting. So, you know, it's the classic gay thing. I have to rearrange it now. And <laughs> why not bring that to the experience of essentially creating creating a map of your spiritual life that's visible out there and it can speak to you whenever you pass it. Yeah. Yeah. Altars are such powerful tool for exactly that, for creating a focal point and really being able to understand, you know, when I do ritual and I put things on altars, I often ask myself, why did I want that on this altar? Because it's such an interesting question of, you know, what is it, intuitively or what is it that I wanted or needed in that moment that caused me to gravitate towards, you know, putting flowers on the altar or putting a certain object on the altar or a certain stone, you know, and it's, it is such a powerful tool. So that's really interesting. So you do, yeah. so you do the personal and altar and then how does the work continue from there? The work continues from there with a witnessing session so if um, someone is comfortable with actually entering into a mindful self-pleasuring experience, 
and knowing that I'm there with them, not as a voyeur, but as a witness, um, and uh, they're willing to explore what it can mean to be that fully accepted. We go through that. We go through a more interactive session where I'm uh, in some sense coaching and I that that term can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. Again, and this unfolds very much according to what the individual wants and needs. Toward the end of the sequence, there's a long guided visualization session. And then the last session of the series is really a harvest. So we go back to something that is a little more talk oriented. I invite the, the, the client to reflect on what's surprised them, what's challenged them, what have they learned. And all the way through, I, uh, again, I'm a retired professor, so I assign homework. And one of the things I ask people to consider doing is to keep, uh, get a fresh notebook and keep a journal all the way through the, the experience and to take notes about what's going on for them as a result of the sessions and in between the sessions. Wow. It sounds, it's, it's, it's very, um, very thought out, very strong framework. And it sounds like it really could make a big difference for a lot of people, especially people with, you mentioned body image earlier. And that's often the thing that I encounter in coaching people who struggle with, you know, self-image and body image and self-esteem. So I think that's really important work. I'm curious what originally called you to this work? Like what spoke to you about doing this? Um, if I go all the way back to the beginning of it, one of the most profound spiritual experiences of my life was also one of the peak erotic experiences of my life. And that was my first uh, ex experience of celebrating the body ero erotic, the body electric schools, introductory weekend long workshop. And I had such a deep sense that the connection between my sexuality and my understanding of myself as a spiritual being in relationship to God, I'm not afraid of that word, and in relationship to other people, was just so profoundly integrated at that moment. And that was over 20 years ago. And it really set me on the path of thinking about the ways in which my own erotic life is bound up with my own spiritual life. And as I got further into that, I started to realize that had always been true. I mean, it was true for me when I was five years old and I was waking up from a tonsillectomy and the, the hot young vicar from the Lutheran church that we went to was sitting there paying a pastoral call on this little five-year-old kid. And his, he, he was an angel with a five o'clock shadow. And then he said to me, well, shall we pray? And I thought, yeah, whatever will keep you in the room for another five minutes. Um, <laughs> I started to realize that my whole life 
my embodied desire and my spiritual aspirations have always been two sides of the same coin, two two faces of the same cloth. Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of queer people, and some some queer people sort of deny it or have a lot of shame around it because, of course, they've grown up in religions who teach them that their sexuality and their spirituality are miles apart and you can have one or the other and not both. So I can see how very healing that would be to really see that these are these are different sides of the same coin, as you say, they're, they're connected because I think for a lot of queer people and, and gay men in particular, that first, sometimes that first sexual experience with another man is a very spiritual experience as well. Like when you're coming through that whole coming out process and sort of deciding like, this is who I am and, and moving forward in that. So I think that this work is really amazing for bringing that quality together. And I think sometimes that's the reason that so many queer people are turned off to spirituality as a whole is they have this bad experience early and earlier in life where they're told you can be, you could be your sexual being that you are and have your sexuality, or you can have your spirituality, but you can't have both. And so of course they choose, I'm going to be authentic and true to myself and, and come out and, and be who I am. And they just sort of throw spirituality away. So I'm glad to hear the way that you're bringing those together for people. Yeah. Thank you. The, the, yeah, one of the most healthy things that people can do, it seems to me, if they've had an insupportably toxic experience of an early religious upbringing is to get the hell away from it as fast as they can. And Amen. then there's the point... <laughs> There is the point at which you realize, wait a minute, there's something that really spoke to me deeply that was bound up with everything I couldn't support. How do I go back into the burning house and rescue what it is I really need to take forward with me? And sometimes people never get to the point of going back into the burning house. It's just too risky. And sometimes people find the thing that really is nurturing and life-giving and the way they end up expressing that is just hugely different from yeah. the tradition they grew up with. And then sometimes people find ways of appropriating more of that again and integrating it into a practice going forward but going forward very much on their own terms. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that analogy of going back into the burning house to to pull out what's valuable because that's so very true. Um, so this work is really interesting. And of course, we've talked a little bit about your blog, but I want to kind of focus back on the blog a little bit. And you write on a lot of different things. And what what inspires you? Like when you're sitting down to write, what what brings the inspiration to to blog on? the on ritual and queer spirituality and the, and the different topics that you cover there yeah often it's some experience of my own that seems to have a, a kind of universalizing core to it that i can write about in a way that it's not just about my experience but that it offers something to the reader that they can relate to their own life. 
sometimes I'm inspired by current events. I try not to get too political on the blog, but occasionally I get political and, and even unabashedly partisan on the blog. Sometimes I just share bits of my own creative practice. I've serialized a couple of novellas that I, uh, utopian erotic novellas that I wrote on the blog. Sometimes I will do photographs of my current visual art projects. Um, and sometimes uh, people write guest posts and bring those to the blog. And I'm less compulsive about saying, oh, it's Thursday, I have to post now. I I post when I have something to say. And I'm not too hung up on whether that happens um, five days after the last post or 20 days after the last post. So for better or for worse, people who look at the blog won't necessarily find something every week. Uh, but clearly people are finding something because they're showing up on it. Yeah, which is great. And it is, I, you know, I've been on the blog and there is just a lot of variety and really something that could probably speak to everyone that, that visits because you do have that breadth of, of stuff that you're talking about on there. Um, so as we sort of reach the end of our time or as we start to wind down our interview, I'm wondering like, what what words of wisdom, you know, for lack of a better word, would you want listeners to come away from this interview with? What would you like people to know most about this work or what is it that they can most take away from hearing our conversation today? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say, above all, trust your own heart trust your own intuition about what you need to do to express your own spirituality. And at the core of that, I would say, I really believe that as human beings, we are hardwired to be happiest when we're grateful. So ask yourself what you're grateful for and figure out the best way of saying thank you and it doesn't really matter as much. Don't get hung up on who you say, think you're saying thank you to. Just say thank you. And trust the intuition that you'll get an answer to who or what it is you're responding to. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really great advice. I love that piece about gratitude, too. Um, so we'll put the links to both of your sites in below the description here, but how do people follow you, get in touch with you, work with you if they want to work with you? What's the, what's the best way for people to, to approach you? Yeah, I'm about as low tech as I can be in the early 21st century. So if you go to the blog, you'll see the email address in the sidebar that you can use to contact me. You'll also see in the sidebar to anchor hold the link to the separate page for the pathophallic awareness. If people are interested in exploring the possibility of doing those sessions, the best thing to do is just to send me an email of initial inquiry. And um, I do those sessions not by a standard fee for service. I do them by donation. 
But if somebody is interested in doing the first exploratory session, if you mention that you heard about this on the Queer Spirituality podcast, uh, people are really welcome to do an initial exploratory talk session with me with no expectation of a donation for that. That's very generous of you. Thank you for that. And um, so we'll make sure that people have the links to go do that and to email you if they want to do that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to to come on the show and, and talk with us today. It's been really interesting and I've learned a lot from you. So I you know, always enjoy these conversations because they certainly trigger me to think about things in a, in a broader or different way. So I appreciate that. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening. This has been the Queer Spirituality Podcast with Julian Crossan Hill. If you enjoyed this show, please consider leaving a rating on whatever site you get your podcasts at. Rating the show allows other people to discover it and be exposed to these ideas around queer spirituality. You can also find my blog and past episodes of this podcast at www.queerspirituality.net. That's www queerspirituality.net. You can also there find links to the Queer Spirituality Facebook group, my various social channels where you can get involved in the discussion or send me your feedback or questions or things you'd like to hear on the show. Thank you again for listening and for your support. Bright blessings.